love living in Michigan? Oh yeah, all right, good. Um, is uh, being able to go up north with students. I, uh, I've done all my ministry in Michigan, in different parts of Michigan, but uh, I, I, I loved it. Um, uh, I told you last week I had been a youth pastor for 18 years, and as a youth pastor, I love my summers. <laughs> Uh, trips to up north with kids to camp multiple times, you know, and uh, I would uh, go on missions trips and, you know, camp, you know, whatever, you know, I, I love summers. Uh, that was my favorite thing about being a youth pastor was the summers and, uh, and, and be able to invest in kids all summer long. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things, when I was a youth pastor, I would take kids to, to summer camp and I believe in camp ministry. Uh, I so believe it. In fact, I would like to see us doing more and more camp ministry, and I'm trying to figure out ways to make it happen, even with the younger kids, uh, how we do that here. But it, it's a passion of mine. Um, uh, we have middle school kids, uh, students, uh, heading up to Lake Ann, right guys? Heading up to Lake Ann here in August, and going to Lake Ann Camp with Oak Point uh, Student Ministries. And uh, uh, Chris just came back from uh, camps, uh, spent a whole week investing in kids, and uh Middle school kids, and I tell you, uh, it's such a great opportunity when you go north and uh, you spend a week with kids. You get to um, spend as much time in one week with students as you would in 40 weeks of ministry. Think about that, okay? You get to spend an extended amount of time in investing in relationships and the shoulder to shoulder experience. And, 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 and the, really the stretching experience as they experience things maybe they haven't done before. And, and it, it, it's a powerful time. And, uh, it, it, it's great. It's great for, uh, for leaders, you know, to be able to go spend their time. But it's also great for students as they get to go and, uh, get away from everyday life, get away from phones. Yes, middle school students, you cannot take your phones, all right? Uh, and, and that, but, uh, get away from your phones, get away from all that. Focusing in on your relationship with God, ask Him to speak. Going up north, getting outdoors in God's creation and really just having an extended time. Just talking and building relationships, playing games together, being challenged by God's Word. It is great. It is great. It's something I love about living in Michigan and being in ministry here. There's nothing better Nothing better than getting outside with God, right? Anybody? Nothing better than getting outside with God. You know, one of my favorite uh, activities when I lived up north, uh, uh, you may not know or you may know, but I lived uh, for 11 years up in Petoskey. And, uh, and one of my favorite activities was to go walk the beach there along Little Traverse Bay or the waterfront, the bayfront. In fact, most lunches in the summer was spent walking down the bayfront. I go, lunchtime! And I head down the stairs and head out to the bayfront, and I go out there walking, and and, I'm meeting people, uh, you know, fudgies that come up north to vacation and all that kind of stuff. And You know, but uh, I would walk along the shoreline, and I would just kind of take in the view. I love taking in the view. I love breathing in the air. And then I I would also spend time just talking to God about things that were on my heart. Spend time. So I walk along and the, the waves just lap in. And I, I, I would love that time just talking to God, pouring out my heart to Him. This summer, I've been really kind of just enjoying uh, my backyard. Now, God has uh, just provided for us a home uh, this time back in this area. 
uh, that has trees in the backyard. And uh, it, that was pretty major for us. You know, the last home we lived in, when we lived here, we lived, it just had this fence yard, and you look out at your na- neighbor's junk, you know. You know, it's like, and, you know, maybe been there and have done that. And so it, we got trees in our backyard. And I, I've been enjoying going out on the deck and just sitting there and drinking my iced tea and, and just kind of taking it all in, see see what will fly in, and the, you know, little animals come visit us. We have deer that kind of come in periodically, and, and raccoons will, will find their way, and, and turkeys, and a variety of different animals periodically will, will show up, and, I, and I, I love it. Or I also enjoy heading over to Marsh Bank Park. Anybody been to Marsh Bank Park? Yeah, man, the, the path there is great. Uh, you know, I headed over there on... Uh, on the 4th of July weekend, and, and I was kind of uh, doing my own thing. My wife was visiting her mom, so it was me and myself and I. And so we went walking at uh, Marsh Bank Park and just spent some time walking the path, enjoying uh, just being out there. Or I, I also enjoy getting over to Pontiac State Park. Anybody ever been there, Pontiac State Park? Yeah. And, uh, and get over there. I, at lunchtime, if you want to find me, usually I'm at the park, okay? And so I'll get over there at lunch. I usually try to bring a lunch I can just eat on the way, you know, and uh, and that kind of thing. And I'll go spend, you know, half hour walking at the at the beachfront, just uh, taking it in, getting outdoors, and 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 uh, for me, I, I I talk to God a lot about you, by the way. Oh no, and uh, and and uh, but I do talk a lot about God, uh, with God yeah, about things, and you know, there's there's just something there's something about getting outdoors in God's creation. But it's even better when you meet with God there. When you meet with God there. As Jesus' ministry, as we've been looking here, I want to take you back to the city of Capernaum again. And um, and we're going to look at so much ministry went on in Capernaum. And, and one of the things that we find is Jesus' ministry went on through in this area, the Galilee region. Um, what's interesting about Jesus, he moves his ministry outdoors. He heads to... Uh, he heads to the fields. He heads to the hillsides. And uh, we find as, 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 as we look here again at this city of Capernaum, that uh, one of the things that, that, that you find is that Jesus has moves his ministry from the synagogue now to the seashore. And, and, it, and, it's, the, and it's for a significant reason that he does this. As the religious leaders uh, began to kind of turn against, uh, against Jesus, they were kind of becoming... Uh, increasingly critical of his ministry, questioning him and, and that. And he, Jesus, he just what, does what's natural. He begins to move outdoors. He moves out to where the people are, are at, where uh, he's beginning to build this large crowd of uh, people that are, are following him. And so uh, all, all also moving outdoors provides for that too, allows him to have space for them to sit down, for him to teach them, for him to speak to them. In fact, we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, so I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 13, but in the first two verses, it says this in Matthew, Matthew 13, um, uh, 1 and 2, it says, in this, that same day, Jesus went out of the house, and this most likely was a the house there in the Capernaum area, and he sat by the lake. It says, such a large crowd gathered around him, that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Now, here's a picture. I think I can put this up. Here's a picture of that region of that area. And I think it's kind of interesting. Just get a little visual if you go there. 
You'll see over here is Kapur, the entrance to Capernaum, the city of Capernaum, went off here to the left. Uh, up here on the hillside is where they believe Mount uh, Beata, it's called the Mount of Beata, it's where the Sermon on the Mount was preached, and it's believed that it was in that location, and that's what we talked about last week. But it, then down here is what's called the Cove of the Sower. And it's believed, this is where Jesus, came, again, came out of the city, all right, went to the seashore, and, and, and he, 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 he got on a boat, and he began to speak to people from, from the boat. And it's from this spot here in the, in the Sower's Club that he, he, it's believed that it, that it, it took place. We don't know for sure, but it, it believed that it, it took place. Um, and uh, he began to, to tell stories that used the outdoors to illustrate his point. Uh, these stories are called parables, and we'll see many of them written about or written here in chapter 13. Now, Jesus told the crowd many parables, and, and what, we have seven of them here in chapter 13. Now, it's important to understand what a parable is. Uh, simply put, it's an everyday story, take an everyday illustration story, uh, whatever you would have in life, all right, and, and, and then have a, put a spiritual meaning to that, that story. Now, it, it's not an allegory as if every detail in the story um, had deep spiritual meaning. Uh, there's uh, generally one main point. When a parable, when Jesus told a parable, there's mainly one point that Jesus was driving home, that he, he wanted them to think about, to ponder. Uh, uh, it is, as the Hebrew word puts it, it, it calls it a mashal or a riddle, in a sense. Or as the Greek word gives additional sign, it describes it as this comparison and comparing back and forth. And so this kind of teaching method it had great advantages. Like we still use this method in many ways. I'm sure Chris, this week when he went up to camp, he had stories you were telling. And he was looking to engage 7th and 8th graders with stories and to integrate those in to grab them. And so it's a great part of communicating truth. Jesus was one of the great masters of the short story as we see, see many of them written here. And this week, in fact, in your growth guide, I encourage you to make sure you, you download that uh, uh, from, uh, from Uversion and, and save that on the app and go out there or take that uh, insert from the bulletin with you home and, and, and look at the, some of these other illustrations, some stories, some parables that he tells. But here's the thing. These, these stories would hold attention and enables the people to see themselves within the story while dealing with a maybe a well-known, uh, it, it, always, it always introduced the extra and caused you to think. Now, in this passage, and we're not going to look at them today, but in this passage, you'll see in verses 10 through 17 and 34 through 35, Jesus explains why he decided to start using the parables. And he, because the disciples came and said, hold on, what, what are you doing here? This is, this is a change from what you've been doing. What's going on? Why are you using parables? And he gives some reasons. And some of the reasons is because, first of all, there came widespread rejection of his message. And, and so he was being rejected by, you know, his message was being rejected and who he was, who he's claiming to be was being rejected, that he was the savior of the world. And so he uses parables to continue to hold the intrigue, continue to hold the listener, and, 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 and even as he's experiencing this opposition. 
He also told parables because, well, Jesus valued them because they revealed truth. But here's the thing. They revealed truth only for those to who it was given to see. The parables reveal the truth. So for those who you know, were hungry in a sense, they wanted to understand, they were digging in with Jesus, and, and, but it would conceal it from those who were too lazy to look for it. Kind of interesting as we think even in our own spiritual walk, just as a sideline there, that we not be lazy about digging into the truth, right? Because, you know, there's some things that we have to dig in to gain deeper understanding and, and deeper growth. And are we willing to do that? And so here it, it concealed it to those who were lazy or maybe they were blinded by hatred or they were blinded by, by prejudice. And so they, they, he used these stories to hide it from them. And, um, you know, it, it's that, that, that way in, in a sense where um, if, you, if you don't use your muscles, anybody, anybody out there work out? You don't work out. Oh, well, no, this is not good. Yeah, I, I work out, uh, but I was looking at my uh, I was looking at my uh, fitness app this week, and uh, I had this app uh, for Planet Fitness, and it tells me when I the last time I went. Yeah, it was back in May, but anyway, so this week, you know, soon. Uh, but I want you. I've been doing a lot of walking around the neighborhood. Okay, and and that. But here's the thing, you know, one of the things that, especially at my age, uh, in these mid-50s, uh, that, you know, I realize that if I don't use my muscles, if you don't use it, you what? Yeah, you lose it. You start to lose it. And, and, and so important, especially as the older you get, that you continue to use the muscles. You get up and go for that walk. You get up and, you know, uh, go to the fridge, open it up, grab, you know, no, no, I mean, you know, I mean, do a little bit more around the block and, and all that kind of thing. You know, so it's so important. And, and and it's the same in the spiritual life, folks. Um, just because we've been a believer for 50 years doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to pursue and, and grow and exercise our spiritual muscles. And, and so the parables, they bring light and understanding for those who, who look for it or are digging it out. For those who, who do not, well, they, well, they'll continue in darkness. They'll continue in darkness and not understand God's truth. Jesus understood this. And as he moved, and here's the thing, as he moved into the second half of his ministry, his focus changed. His focus changed to those who would seek greater understanding. And in fact, he's calling them out to a greater commitment of surrender. All right? He's calling them out to, to follow him, to take up you know, the cross and, and follow him. So he, he's focusing in on that. And he's focusing on the ones who would carry the message of the gospel after he left. And so he uses parables as part of that. A third reason why Jesus taught parables was that they moved uh, one to a point of decision. And I tell you, as we go through this, this parable today, uh, you know what my heart for you is? That this parable would move you to a decision. That's what I'm praying. Because uh, Jesus understood that. Truth is given to those who are ready to receive it. And I would ask, are you ready to receive it? See, Jesus, and here I think it's important, Jesus will not force you to believe and receive. He doesn't force that. Each of us must work through God's truth 
ourselves grappling with it, and, and, and we must dig it out, and, 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 and we must decide what's going to be our response to it. In fact, every Sunday morning you walk into this place, and you hear whether you hear Chris or myself or, or Pastor Brent, you know, you, you've got an opportunity. What am I going to do with the truth? That's yours. That's not mine. That's yours. You've got to grapple with it. What do, I got, what do I got to do with this truth? How do I live this out? What is it God's trying to say to me? And, say to me? and that's what these parables did. It caused you to think, to ponder, and decide. Now, here in chapter 13, um, as I said, it contains seven parables, and, and, uh, which have one theme, though, and that is the, the kingdom of God. In fact, these are called the kingdom parables. And that's what Matthew, why he put them... Put them here together. His goal was to help us understand the kingdom. And, and last week we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and there we looked at the fact that it, uh, Jesus was speaking to the character of those who are in the kingdom, are who are of the kingdom. And these parables about understanding the mysteries, in a sense, of the kingdom, deeper truths, greater understanding. So Jesus moves. He moves outdoors and he tells the parable for, uh, from a boat along the seashore of Galilee. Now, just to give you a visual, I got another picture. Everybody love pictures, right? All right. Uh, you know, the, my favorite books are the ones that have pictures in them, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so this is another picture. And so here you'll see, um, this is called the sower, what they believe is the, where Jesus spoke, and uh, uh, it's called the sower's cove. And, it, you know, it's believed that he got out on a boat just off the shoreline, and that this would have been, you know, back uh, at the back of the crowd, these rocks here. In fact, this road here is estimated, some estimates that close to 5,000 people, and, and all those little dots down there, those are actually people. You see that? All right, and, and they're saying 5,000 people could fit between the, the beach and this road. And um, there's been critics that have been out there, you know, because there wasn't much amplification. Pro- you know, we don't have speaker systems like we do here and, and all that. And, and, uh, and there's critics that would question whether such a large group, because the, the crowds were getting louder, uh, louder. The crowds were getting larger around, and possibly louder too. And, uh, they were getting larger, and so they would, he would sit them down in, in, in a variety of places, and, and that. And, but you know what? There's critics say, well, how, how could even that many people hear Jesus? And what was interesting is that, well, people have done tests on whether this is possible. So here's an audio recording of someone standing down by, I don't know if you see this tree down here, right here? See that tree? Someone standing down there by that tree, okay, and they're speaking, no audio equipment, and they're recording it back here at this position. Now you're going to hear a lot of birds. I just thought this was the coolest thing. you got to check it out, so listen closely, all right? Thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. 
Isn't that interesting? Someone just standing down by that tree. To me, that's intriguing. When you go to Israel, it becomes even more intriguing because you stand there and you look down and you go, wow, this is possible. This is real. Jesus, he was, the, you know, he potentially was there. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Now, one of the parables that Jesus told was that one that was read there by that guy, the parable of the, of the sower, of the farmer who planted some seed. And this, this is the parable I want us to look at today. Uh, farmers in those times obviously didn't have tractors, right, to plant their seed, to plop the ground in, in a sense, uh, the, in, in that way. So farmers would take a handful of seed and, and they would carefully cu- cast it onto the soil. They would cover it over and, and uh, with their foot, uh, cover it with dirt, and then wait for the plants to grow. So planting seed uh, is called sowing. And so, so Jesus' story is called the parable of the sower and the seed. In fact, let me read it for you. Go to Matthew, look back at your text, Matthew chapter 13, and let's, let's read through what that was, he actually read there in this recording. It says, Then he told them many things in the parable, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then, but when the sun, came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. And then he says this statement. I would ask you, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, this first parable, it deals with the beginning of kingdom origins, or the origin of the kingdom. And here it's compared to this farmer. The farmer went out to sow seed. And most people would have, when, after hearing this, they would have went away uh, and thought about this parable. And, okay, what, what's the understanding? And, or some of them, if they were darkened, in a sense they weren't digging out, they well, that's an interesting story. Why don't we tell them, are we supposed to go out and plant seed or something? You know, or, in, in that regards. But what's interesting about this particular parable is that Jesus goes on to explain it. Not all the parables are explained, but this one is. Jesus wants them to, those hearers that were gathered in the crowd. Now there was other parables he went on and he explained in the privacy of just the 12 disciples uh, that were that he met with. But this one he wants them all to understand and so he explains. And so this is our starting point for understanding and applying it ultimately to our lives. So let's read on. Jump down to verse 18. Verse 18. All right. And let's read there down to verse 23. It says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But, here's a big but, but since he has no root, he, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. 
But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And so for those listening, now they get a greater understanding. And if they're gonna, they're gonna dig this out. They're gonna dig into this in a greater way. And he's looking, here's what Jesus is doing. He's looking to help them apply it. Dig this truth out. Because this is a essential truth. This parable brings out uh, such great importance for all of us. And what we learn is that the seed here is the gospel. It's his word, his spoken word that Jesus, he's speaking of his spoken word of the kingdom, and, and the soil is the human heart. And, and, and the emphasis is on the, the various kinds of hearts and how they reject or how they receive Christ's message. It's being very direct now. It says, what are you going to do with my words? What are you going to do with what I'm saying here? And so let's dig into this here a little bit for ourselves. And I think there's some definite application that, that needs to come. And what we see is that the first kind of heart that he's talking about is here is the hard heart. The hard heart. The soil along the path that re- rep- represents that person who has this, this hard heart. It's a picture of the soil. And you, and you know this. Uh, you walk along a path. The, the soil gets hardened. It, it, gets, it gets trampled down on. And as more and more feet go along the path, it gets harder and harder as the years go by and as people pass over. And because the soil's hard, the seed that falls there, it just lies and, uh, on the path and, and does not sink in. And the birds will come and and they, and, and, and they will snatch away. And, and here Christ compares the birds to the devil or, or the devil's workers, all right, will come and snatch away the truth that's been sown in that way. And so the question that comes, I, I think you've got to ask here of the, of the text, you get a question that comes, what makes the human heart hard? Think about that for a moment. What is Jesus driving at? What makes... The human heart, hard. If we really look at what we understand makes our heart, our hearts hard, or can start to harden us, it's sin, right? Sin makes the heart hard. Sin will harden a person's heart, keep them from hearing God's truth in their life. In fact, sin will cause you to reject God's truth. Uh, that, that's why repentance is such an important first step to hearing God and being able to respond to Him. It's also vital to one's ongoing relationship with God. Repentance needs to be a regular part of my walk with Christ so that my heart will not become hard. It's, so, it's, it's such a vital part of, of coming to Christ and also walking with Christ. And you will experience this. You know, if you've, if you, maybe you've gone out there and you, you've at times looked to share the gospel and you just looked to even just kind of open up the door just a little bit. To, even you, 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 you risk it and say, man, yeah, I go to church at Waterford Community Church. Oh, I don't talk about that, you church purple. You know, you might, you might experience that a little bit. Okay, you might experience that a lot. All right. And, and you'll experience this 
when people are, have hard hearts don't want to hear it, right? They don't want to hear it. When we look at the, the moral condition of our nation, folks, we need to recognize this is what's happening. More and more, we are seeing the people of our nation become hardened to God because they love sin. They love sin. And sin, sin is hardening the hearts of this, of the people of this nation. And so, this is, uh, folks, this is where we need to focus our prayers. Our prayers that the hearts of the people, whether they be in our families, whether it be in our neighborhoods, uh, people we're engaging with, whether they be wherever at, in our jobs, wherever, maybe there are even people sitting here and, and, and there's a hardness there. This is where we need to focus our prayers, that God would soften their heart, that He would do whatever is necessary to bring them, begin to bring them to that place of where they recognize, oh, I need to repent. I need to repent. So Jesus puts out this picture and He says, it's the hard heart. It's the hard heart. Understand that. He goes on though, and he talks about the shallow heart here. The shallow heart. Jesus describes the second type of soil as rocky ground, and it's a picture of that, that shallow heart when seed fell in the rock, and, and we all can understand that, but it only goes to a very shallow depth, and it springs up quickly, and, and then it fades quickly, and, and, and it just dies because the, the sun comes up and the heat bears down. And, and uh, Jesus describes that this person by saying, the one who receives the seed that fell on the, on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So this is the person who commits themselves to Christ, maybe in an emotional, superficial way, but that commitment is shallow. And when difficult times come, and maybe God isn't fixing things, fixing their problems the way they want Him to fix those problems, and most likely He doesn't, God does. He rather walks you through your problems to grow you and deepen you and put your roots down deeper. But this is the person that says, well, God's just not fixing my problems. And so they turn and they start to walk away from Christ. It's so important to understand that, that to follow Christ is to surrender your life. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 14, 27, he says this, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be what? Oh, yes, I said it better than that. Cannot be what? My disciple. It's important to understand. To carry a cross and to follow Him is to die to yourself and your desires and to follow Christ in obedience. And that's what Paul's saying when he says in Galatians 2, 20, he says here, I have been crucified. That's a visual, right? Bam, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So it's recognizing as a believer that your old self and its ways are dead. I'm going to live as though they're dead, all right? And, and, and so now by faith, 
because they are. Christ put them dead. Now I just, I just got to quit picking them up. And I got to live through by faith through obedience. Let Christ live through me and His righteousness come out of my life as I, I live in obedience. And as the Holy Spirit empowers me to honor God, to honor Him, to glorify Him through my life. And that's a daily commitment. Daily, I have to get up and I tell you, the battle's great. I understand the battle, and the battle's great at times, but it's coming back. Okay, God, I can't do this in your own spirit. I need you. Last night, I was walking around my neighborhood, and I was just talking to God, and, uh, and going for a walk, and, and I just, I just, you know, I felt this attack. I was just frustrated. And I'm just, God, I just, help me. Work through my frustration. God, help me. I, I, I'm, I, I got this, ugh. You know, don't talk to me right now. You know, as you walk by neighbors. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> but you, you, you can develop this, and so there's this call here, all right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You live life dead to yourself, but oh, so alive to Christ. And I want you to know, He brings so much more to life, right? He brings so much more to life. There's life with Christ and seeing Him bring His work His way out. You know, it's so much more than the than what can be offered in this world and, and, and its ways. The third type of heart He talks about here is is the heart. It's called the strangled heart, and it, it, it's it, he, the Lord describes things that as thorns and says, "The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life." and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. And so this is the person that is, is looking to add God, in a sense, to their life. All right? Uh, at, at the heart of this is a call to surrender everything you have. Luke 13, 33 says this, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Here again, Jesus is calling them. All right, this is what... This is what this is called. And then later he says in Luke sixteen thirteen he says, um, uh, I, "I must have jumped ahead. Let me just read it for you." Luke sixteen thirteen he says, "No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." And here's the truth, folks, to grab a hold of that Jesus is getting at. In life, there are two possible lords. There, 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 that you can serve, and the two are exclusive. There's God, or there's money. And most of us think we can combine them, we can add, as I said earlier, we, we can, you know, we can add God to our life. Alright, I'll serve God mostly, and, and I also like to serve money, and, and, but Jesus says that won't work, you cannot serve God in money. And so, uh, He's gotta be, at the center, so a strangled heart person looks to add Jesus, and you just can't add Jesus to your way of life. He's got to be central to your way of life. And then he affects how you use money. He affects how you lead your family. He affects how you do your job. He's got to be the life, regardless if you got the money, regardless of what's going on in your life. Jesus has got, to, he said, I want to be centered. And it's this call. And so the person with a strangle heart, they, no, they, they try to play the, in a sense, play the line, play the game. But then there's this last one, and it's the open heart that he talks about. 
And this is really, the whole parable has been building towards this. As Jesus tells this, again, he's a master of, he's the master of the short story, and so he's building towards this part of the story, and, and, and it is the heart that receives the gospel like good soil receives the seed. The soil produces a good crop, and Jesus says, yielding a hundred, sixty, and, and thirty times. So there's, there's this fruitfulness that'll be evident that starts to come out of this, this fruitfulness, and it'll be in a variety of ways. And in the open heart will begin to see, you'll begin to see the fruitfulness of God being lived out in your life. And so the main point is that only, only the open heart that receives the preaching and the teaching of the gospel is saved. Not, not the hard heart. Not the shallow heart. Not the strangled heart. Only the open heart's the only heart that receives the truth of the gospel and is saved. You gotta grapple with that. The heart that opens itself to Jesus and his teaching, which leads to the most important question. Do you have an open heart? Do you have an open heart? Are you receptive to God's truth? Have you allowed the teaching of the Bible to settle down in your life so that you're, you're, you're looking to turn from sin? This isn't a life about a life of perfection, but it's a life of direction. It's a life where Jesus Christ is Lord, and I'm looking, I'm continuing to look to Him as Lord of my life to lead my life. And I'm growing and I'm maturing. There's a perfecting process that's part of that where he begins to perfect and work and step by step as I continue to walk. And yes, there's ups and there's downs. And, and, and on you go. But it's, it's that aspect of looking to the cross, looking to Jesus Christ and saying, yes, he, he has my heart. I have an open heart. Have you placed your whole faith in Jesus? Or are you just trying to add Jesus to your life? You may say here, God may be saying to you here this morning, He may be, you know, right now the Holy Spirit may be just doing some convicting in your heart and life and let that happen, I would say to you. But I would say, maybe this morning you got some of the thoughts and said, man, I'm afraid. I'm afraid not. That's, I don't have that open heart. I wish I had a heart like that. I'm afraid it's hard. I'm afraid it's shallow. I'm afraid I'm letting the things of this world strangle me to keep me from, from, first of all, stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The other side of this is maybe you have, you have been and you've been walking, but you're struggling right now. Know that, that, was, that the enemy wants you to get caught up with one of the other three types of hearts rather than continue to walk with an open heart. You may say, Boy, I, that's, that's not me, Mark. It's not me. And uh, I struggle. It's just—it seems so impossible. You may even say to me, maybe one of you here today, you may say, "Is there any hope?" It seems like I keep falling back into these. I can't. And I would say, I would say this: Your case is not hopeless. No, it's not. Here's the spiritual reality. 
we can do nothing, or actually, let me put it back, take it back just one step. Soil can do nothing to change its nature. Something has to act on the soil from the outside to change its nature. That's why we work the ground. That's why we, we if you are a gardener, you know, I, I got my yard and I got my flowers and I work the ground and I put in, I put in fertilizer and I, I, I turn up the soil and I, I toss the rocks out and I get rid of the things because I want my, I want my, my flower garden to look the best one in the neighborhood, right? And so, so we, we do that and so it, 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 we work that. But here's the truth. There, it's, in our life, there's nothing you can do to change yourself. But there is a one who can. Jesus. He's the divine gardener. He breaks up the hard ground. He, he uproots the rocks. He removes the thorns. That is your hope. That is my hope. It's not me, but the gardener. It's the gardener. Notice what God said to the prophet Ezekiel when he says in Ezekiel 36, he goes, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you, look at this, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Anybody need a heart of stone removed? And God will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, with Jesus, all things are possible, folks. But it has to be Jesus who does the work in you. And what you need to do is, maybe that's you. You got realize, I got a hard heart, Mark. Or I got a strangled heart, Mark. I got a shallow heart. And what you need to do is you need to turn to Christ and allow Him to give you an open heart. You need to admit that you have this hard heart, the shallow heart, this, 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 this heart that's just grasping for things in world, in this world, and ask Him to save you anyways. I want to just end with this, these verses and I want to just share the hope that we have, the gospel that we have. And you just, Sit back here and listen, and just listen as I read these verses. And ask God, what is he saying? What does this verse say to me? What, God, what do you want to say to me through this verse? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is God saying to you? You recognize that you have sinned and fall short of his glory? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand there is a cost to the sin that we are born in? But there is a hope, there's a gift of eternal life. John 3.3 says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Unless he's made new again. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Let me, this is a vital one. Listen closely. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I want to ask in closing, how is your heart? Is it an open heart?